in a typical RPG or whatever, it's like, okay, you've got to like, can like do a quest for somebody to like get mm-hmm. a key or like Be solve a, a puzzle. Yeah. But the cat solution is solve this problem by just causing another problem. Yeah. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to episode 373 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the web programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's July 22, 2022. <laughs> get it out. Just get it out. Of there. Yeah. It's a lot of 22s. Uh, it is. Uh, before we get started, we have a warning. There's, good, there's just going to be swears and profanity in this, uh, in this, just this episode. Just this is going to be a unique one. episode. Um, we decided to go, you know, kind of take this in a new direction mm-hmm. where we just, where we just curse sometimes. Yeah, the main complaint that we've gotten over the years is that there isn't enough profanity in the podcast, so we're going to spice it up. Spice it up. Yeah, we, got, we got a lot of letters from parents, and they were like, how dare you? My child cannot listen mm-hmm. to this. Uh, this is, you know, people don't talk like this. People don't just never swear. How will, they, how will they get around in the real world? Once how will they up? navigate? The, I need if you to swear at my children. It's just not realistic, you know? It's not, yeah. Uh, so, you know, we heard it. We heard the complaints. Um, and, and we're ready, you know, we're ready to step in, step into the, into the world of the real mm-hmm. and get our yeah. swears out. Uh, so we'd also like to thank our uh, supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net, uh, whose recurring donations help keep the podcast going. And, uh, we also have our first ever sponsorship <gasps> from, uh, from Favreau. So we will talk about that. A little bit later, or Favro, as the case may be. They insist that they are called Favro, but this to me feels like a gif gif situation where it once, is. Once it's out in the universe, you don't get to decide anymore. You know? It's, yeah. And it doesn't matter what you call it, what matters is what it does. That's and, right. Yeah, know, exactly. We'll talk about that. Uh, all right. Now let's talk about what's going on in the world. Specifically, there's this game about, about cat, about being a cat. Yeah. Doing cat stuff. This game called, called Stray. Yeah. yeah. What's the deal so, with it? I have no idea. So people have been, I, I mean, it's got announced, I don't know, what, maybe two years ago or something, but it was announced uh, via some beautiful cinematic trailer. And, and there's a whole everybody on the internet loves cats things, you know, even more so than mm-hmm. they do in real life. I'm not really sure how that works exactly. Uh, but everyone was just like, yes, please. I want this. There's like a little cute cat with a backpack. You know, that was what we saw. We had to kind of wandering through like a dystopian future city. Um, so that came out, and uh, so I haven't played it directly, but my wife played it, and so I was I watched her play the first couple hours or something, um, and so based on what I saw and her reactions to it, and all the reactions I've seen from other people on the internet, uh, they nailed it. Went right into the mm. nailed it category, um, and there are a few things that are interesting about the game from just from a design perspective, which all come down to how aggressively they leaned into. The idea that basically why people would play this game, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going to play it because they love the idea of like being a cat doing cat stuff, right? right? That's, that's for, yeah. for, I guess stuff for no tables. reason. Yeah. 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 So, so you could just do, so, so there's, there's a button whose only job is to meow, nice. right? That's it. <laughs> and, and like other cats, if they're around, will then like meow at you. 
and like response rate. Yeah. But also at the beginning of the game, you see these video cameras up kind of mounted on walls and stuff that they're they're kind of looking at you. Mm. And when you meow, they kind of give you a friendly nod. You know? So like <laughs> so it's but it doesn't actually do anything. You know, it doesn't have any at least as far as I've seen the first couple hours, it doesn't actually have a functional consequence. It's mostly just you can meow, you know. Mm-hmm. And like the intro <laughs> sequence is is just so beautifully crafted because like you wake you like you wake up, it's you and it's a little kind of like beautiful cave looking out into the this like very delightful green sunlit world, you know? And there's like four or five cat buddies with you and they're all just kind of sitting there and you can walk up to each one and it shows like a little, you know, Y icon or whatever to tap so you can interact. And there's a different like cat, cat interaction with each one, you know? Mm-hmm. So like in one, your cat like rolls over on its back and like it's all playful, you know? Uh, and the other one, it, it like licks the other one. And, like they have the whole, like these, specially animated interactions that only exist in this moment, basically. Yep. Right. And, and then throughout the game, as you play, you can, you'll like walk across like a rug and like the Y button will show up, you know, you can interact, but the interaction is just, you hit the, like the triggers, right, left, right, left to just like scratch at it. <laughs> <laughs> or they'll have a tree where you do the same thing, at least claw marks behind. But what's the point of the game? I mean, so I get, well, and actually like the game itself, you know, it's probably, yeah, so that's, that's the thing that's kind of fun is like the game didn't need a, point to right. exist because as right. soon as people were like oh it's you're playing as a cat and it's beautiful and like and it feels like you're a cat then everyone was like yes i'm sold i like the entry point per cost was gone right right but it still had to become a game right mm-hmm. at some point and so it ends up becoming this uh, i don't even know what you would call it like this uh 3d platformer puzzler yeah. kind of thing right i guess cat game, um yeah. Yeah, yeah, but but also an RPG because you're like you're going through the world collecting stuff. You have this little robot buddy that you find, and so like you interact with the rest of the world. These little robot companions. So it's like a three D like, Metroidvania platformer, but you're a cat. Yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. It's so, okay, you're kind of like solid. It's like there's a there's a scene where like there's there's these two robots like sitting on opposite sides of a buildings, and they're like throwing paint cans across to each other because they're like trying to move them from one place to the other. And you go try to interact with the guy, and he said, you know, he's just like, hey, he's like, he just says like, oh, hey, don't, don't bother the other guy. Like, we, we got to make sure we don't drop any of this paint or whatever. I know. And so immediately, you're like, yeah, yeah. So you're like, okay, okay. I'll go bother this other guy. <laughs> so, so you go over and you meow at him, right? And then he startles and drops the paint can, and then some door opens, and another robot runs out to start yelling, you know. Mm. And so now there's a door open you can go in through, right? And so they just like they really leaned into all of this, and they had these little scenes where you'll like walk into a new space. You'll find some uh, entity that you can interact with. And then there'll be a spot where if you hit, that's like a nice little cozy spot that if you hit Y, your cat just curls up, <laughs> takes a nap, and the camera slowly zooms out to like so show you this nice you, little scene. I think scene, it's fascinating you know? about this is, uh, I mean, because I've, you know, I've seen the, I've seen the trailer for the thing and like, yeah, it's a, you're talking about a beautifully rendered situation there, which like, yeah, as far as the amount of technical expertise required to deploy this particular thing tremendously yeah. huge and what what a what a confident gamble to be like you know what i don't think it matters what even is going on or habits i think if you just nail the idea of being a cat if you nail some of these like really context specific animations mm-hmm. I don't oh think it's good the best matter. one the best one so anybody out there who's who has cats or has been around cats or just you know seen videos of cats uh they do not like having stuff on them, right? It's like a just it's a cat thing. They hate it. I was gonna mention <laughs> this. Yeah. And so, so like we, so we have our cats. Like we have one of our cats harness trained, so we can put a harness on him and he's fine. Um, but it took a while. But the first thing that a cat always does when you put something on it, like a vest or whatever, is it just gets really low to the ground 
and then tries to walk and then just falls over as if <laughs> as if they cannot move, you know? <laughs> and it's like a very dramatic fashion, like a like a fainting couch, you know, kind of situation. Yeah. And and they'll and they'll do this like a lot. And they'll and they'll just like kind of wander around this like really funny, crouchy way. So in the game, when you get the backpack put on for the first time, mm. your cat does this. Like the cat just like goes in this crouchy pose and like, <laughs> and like your controls don't work very well. Like it can't walk very well. And then it will just fall over. Like while you're trying to walk, it'll just like fall over onto its side and lay there for a bit. And it won't respond to you until it, tr- it gets back up again, you know? And I mean, as far as I know, this is the only moment where that happens. Mm-hmm. Right. But this is, this is where you can see they took this idea of like, Oh, you're, you're playing as a cat. Right. And they could have pulled out just into, well, you're a cat and you're out there doing stuff. Yeah, you're right? alive, so you're, really you're agile, on. you can knock stuff off counters. About it, yeah, and, and you could do a bunch yeah. of that stuff, right? But the thing that they really like bought into was the things that people love about cats. Right, right. Which is just all the weird stuff. Yeah, and there, <laughs> the happen, there happens to also be a game, right? But really it's like, because you get to like, when you meet characters, you get to like rub up against their legs, yeah, you know? Yeah. And like, it's just all this, yeah, just all this stuff. Um, so it's, uh, I think it, I think it nails that, aspect so well that honestly, I didn't really think about the rest of the game about like what, what it is that's see, going on. You know, we've, we've been talking so, a lot about this with regards to you know, our development with Crashlands 2 and stuff where it's, it's recognizing that, that you can develop as like a core strength of a particular game or product, the, just the aesthetic experience of it alone. You don't worry mm-hmm. about like everyone's you know very, very into you know, the design and, and the mechanical aspect of game systems design and all that stuff. Um, but the reality is that you can, you can make something that that is very very appealing just because it is appealing. Like there's no system that grabs your face, pulls you in for a year. You know, it's just it's just enjoyable to loop around. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is how I kind of felt about like Rocket League. Yep. Right. Where sort of like my initial, I, I'm I'm much more into really like systems heavy games. So I got like Kerbal Space Program and like Rim World and World of Warcraft, and like these games that have like just a lot of layers of systems and depth mm-hmm. and complexity to them. Right. And that's my kind of jam, uh, or so I thought. Right. And then <laughs> and I and I when I first saw Rocket League, I was like, eh, you know, this is just it's just dumb. It's just like these dumb cars just whacking this ball around. Uh, and then it just took off so much that I started playing it and I was like, you know, you know what, like this is, you're just doing a couple of things in this game, but they're just so hilarious and fun Mm -hmm. that you could do that for hundreds of hours and just have a great time. Right. And so like, yeah. So like when you ask Sam, you know, well, like what's the point in this game? And that never even like. It's came not, it's to not my a relevant mind. question. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I was yeah, thinking like. You're having fun. Yeah. And he was like, it. what's the point of being a cat? What's, you know. Um, I mean, cats don't really worry about the answer to that question. <laughs> They're just doing stuff. Uh, yeah, but I also what? loved, Adam, your description there about like the way that you solve this problem, which is like you need to get into an open door, right? And like, or get, like you need to get a door open to get to the next area. And like in a typical RPG or whatever, it's like, okay, you've got to like, can like, do a quest for somebody to like get mm-hmm. a key or like be solve boss. a puzzle. Yeah. But the cat solution is solve this problem by just causing another problem. Yeah. <laughs> right? uh-huh. You're just going to cause chaos for one person so that a new opportunity arises for you, which I feel like is a good, Accurate. like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a good RP way of, of solving this problem. Yeah. It's very, so. yeah. And I think that's, they lean so well into that part that it's kind of like how, so if you're going to eat, say, cheese and crackers, right? What are the crackers there for? They're there to deliver the cheese, right? 
it's not about the crackers. It's about the cheese, right? So mm-hmm. I think a game like Stray is the same deal, right? Where, yeah, there is a game there, I guess, right? But the game, this is actually, it's almost the opposite of like what you're usually trying to do. Like the game is there because you needed something, you needed a vehicle, you need a vehicle to deliver to the cat, to deliver the cat yeah. experience, right? Because it can't just give you like a cat simulator, right? Because you need stuff to do, right? So they've basically given you stuff to do so that you get to be a cat. And also they clearly designed the game around doing cat stuff, right? Because right. at some point they were like, well, the cat needs an inventory because it's an RPG. So well, how does the cat have an inventory? Well, let's give it a backpack. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, that's that's a whole thing now we can do because putting <laughs> things on cats is fucking it's hilarious. hilarious. <laughs> and they just, yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, it's charming. It's delightful. You know, it's, uh, it, it's still, it does have that because like it is an RPG and you're supposed to be like, you know. Uh, finding your way somewhere, and it's kind of like a dark, gritty-ish kind of a game too. And so, I think they did a pretty good job of of because you have to like you have to escape from like some gross creatures that can like tackle you and then like wear you down, you know. And you have to start over. But they did a good job of not making it feel like your little cat's being murdered, you know. Because yeah. um, that was it was one of the things I started thinking about the moment that that my wife started playing and I was watching. I was like, oh, if like something bad happens to this cat, it's going to feel really horrible, you know, which is different than when you play a game as a human character. Or even a cartoon cat, frankly. Or a cartoon, yeah, or even a cartoon, yeah. Yeah. But like this realistic cat that's doing cat stuff, right? Got to be careful. That you get really attached to. So like like in the early moments, they have this thing where, you know, you basically fall from your utopia, right? And and like that scene is just like heart-wrenching, you know? But it was like, it was, uh, but they still didn't, they did it like, you know, in enough of a way where you're not going to get scarred from it. Uh, Cause you're like, this is, it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. You know? Uh, so anyway, it's interesting. Impressive. I would give it a, so, a nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. The complaint yeah. that I've seen as of like starting today is people are mad because apparently if you like really blow through it, you can play the whole thing in like five hours, I guess, or something. Um, so I imagine, oh, this no. if I imagine that if you're not, <laughs> Trying to do cat stuff, like exploring things and knocking things over and like jumping on things just to see, you know, because uh, a lot of the game too is like there's all, you can jump on all kinds of stuff. Right. And like three quarters of the time, there's no reason to be on that thing. Right. There's stacks of books there just so you can knock them over. Right. Yeah. There's, it's like that kind of stuff. And so if you're playing it as like a puzzler. Yeah. You're RPG, the price of this right? game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then like that's not what it's for. So, yeah, you're going to get it on fast. But you're also not going to have as good of a time as you. Because okay, I do think there is a good game there also. How much is it? It's not about that. that. I think it's a triple A price. I think it's like 60, 60 bucks. bucks. Nice. Yeah. It's 30. It's only 30? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 30 then who bucks. Who the fuck is complaining about yeah, that? That's, a, that's something, game. you know, even, even at $60, like five, in what world is like five hours worth of in video games? Just say, like, the yeah, like, <laughs> like, like at a, yeah, yeah, at a minimum, five hours of just great entertainment, you know, it's like a oh, ripoff yeah. for 30 bucks, you know. Oh man! Yeah, so yeah, you're right. In video that games, guy. that's the world. Yeah. In yep. video games, yeah, yeah. I, I've had I've had games where like sometimes when I like I'll go and play Rocket League, which is you know I bought it for twenty bucks like six years ago or something. And whenever I pick it up again, I'll buy the the season pass, not because I I want all the stuff in it necessarily, but just because like I know I'm going to be playing this game a lot for the next few weeks. And like, it's a great game. Mm-hmm. It's just a great game. And like, yeah, I'll give them 20 bucks, uh, to, to entertain Keep me for several <laughs> weeks. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I pay, but, I've been playing a lot of back for blood, but it's on game. It's on game pass, you know? So like, I've just yeah, been playing it for free the whole time. Yeah. So I bought, I actually ended up buying the base game at some point. Cause I was like, I've been playing this even though, cause at some point it won't be in game pass anymore. Right. But 
But also, it was just like, this is starting to feel too asymmetrical. It's you know? starting <laughs> to feel like I'm unethical I'm the bad in, guy, in, in my. Yeah. 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 And of, yeah, course, normally, like, we, and of course, we know that like if a game does really well in Game Pass, they also get extra cash. Yeah, they're doing fine. Kind of so, they're, so they're doing fine, but it still feels but on a per user though. It's not going to be. No. It's not going to. They're not going to be getting full price. Yep. You know. Uh, yeah, you know, it's you got to you got to support the people that make the things that you like, and mm-hmm. and yeah, this oh yeah, this stray game just seems. If you're into being a cat, if you're into that idea, then like yeah, this. This yeah. is gonna do it, and it's only thirty bucks apparently. So yeah, I did, I, I just kind of assume because it's like it's you know got Sony backing and it's like has the feel of a AAA game from the outside. So yeah, um, I, I just saw assume. I saw a great poster of it that had like it had the cat, and then it was for the PlayStation version, and then it just said like PS 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 PS, which is like the sound that people make. You know, they're trying to get cats to come to this. That's a good part. Great, just great. So I'll talk about I'll talk about. Talon. Talon. So this is a this is new. Well, it's not new, but new, new to, to us. us. Yeah. Uh, new tool that we've been using in the studio um, where Jen started using it due to a, a finger issue. That yeah, where she, she injured her finger so she couldn't, basically couldn't use it at all for like two or three weeks. And it's now regaining function yeah. slowly. But it was, it's her right pointer finger, which is the one that you, you know, use, use pretty a frequently lot. for <laughs> typing and mouse work. Uh, yeah. And so she was looking for accessibility stuff to kind of help with like, okay, what happens if you, you know, if it's kind of like harder to click on stuff and use a mouse and type, basically, you know, if, if you, what if you can't use your hands uh, to use a computer, what do you, what do you do? And voice software is the de facto answer to that question, right? Like you could, you could kind of go maybe like try to find some foot pedal stuff or, or whatever, but you only get to so uh, far, really. that's, that's a hardware solution. And it's like, well, you know, you've got, the accessories you've got already, is there something you can use with that? And voice is kind of a, a good place to look, right? So she went on this big search trying to find just whatever good voice voice stuff is out there. There's a lot of it um, with a wide range of, of quality. Um, a lot of it is really just targeted at sort of like dictating text in something like, you know, just typing like Word documents and stuff like that. Um, but she found that that most of it wasn't really geared toward power users where it's like, if you're doing, you know, game dev work, if you want to program, if you want to do, if you want to do, you know, lots of like keyboard shortcuts and hotkeys. Yeah. Yeah. Then like just, just being able to have something, no, like take a word that you said and just type it doesn't really solve your, your problems. Right. Um, So she ended up coming across this software called Talon. I think it, I think it's uh, if you look at you look up like Talon Voice yeah, or something that's like the that. Full name of it. Yep. Yeah, Talon Voice. Um, so she started using it. Uh, was very pumped about it. There's definitely an on ramp. You know, took some time to like get handle on, it, and then Sam started using it. So let's let's hear about it. Let's yeah. So it's been like yeah. The the key takeaway for me from talking to Jen about it and hearing her stories during our last uh, town hall about the usage of it was basically that there's a lot of things that you do on your machine sort of day-to-day that they're small things, but they end up basically amounting to a lot of what I would call kind of search searching behaviors where you actually you know exactly what you want to do. And I, I think the easiest example of this is uh, is going back to a program that's already open in your taskbar when you've got a couple of programs open already in your taskbar. So you got maybe Spotify, Notepad, uh, maybe a coding solution, and uh, I don't know, Chrome or something. Um, you know what you want to go back to from wherever you are currently, but you can't just go there 
automatically. You have to sort of go down to your test bar and, and hunt it out or, you know, hit alt tab, find the thing, click on it, whatever. So there's this. You've got to navigate the interface. Yeah, a lot yeah. of navigation. And so uh, she described that one of the kind of funniest and easiest high leverage things that she'd gotten out of it was this just this window switching, which is that you could just say focus and then name the program. And then it just is the thing that you're looking at now. That's what like you're, you're looking, looking at now. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do this uh, search and targeting and then manual sort of uh, clicking on stuff. And so that alone, because I do a lot of, you know, while we're, um, while we're working the other day, especially during this current time, we're doing a lot of pairing stuff. Then basically I'm switching back and forth between whatever it is I'm working on myself, which is oftentimes between one or two programs, uh, and then Discord and maybe Chrome as well. And so there's just a lot of swapping on my side going on um, during the day. And I was, so for that alone, I was like, well, yeah, I'll give it a try, kind of, kind of check it out. And then as she described a bit more of it, I thought, oh, you know, actually as an artist who you now uses a pen, and I've talked a lot on the podcast about it, my the density of the hotkeys on my left hand, which is to say there's 128 of them uh, between my, like just on the left side of my keyboard, essentially. Um, and how even with that many, there's plenty of things that you do not with enough routine, not with enough frequency to actually be able to even memorize a hotkey for. Uh, but the things that are really annoying to get into that require you to diving into submenus and sort of other stuff while you're in your uh, your art program. So as an art person, you're basically, you are one-handed, right? you got a pen in one hand, you cannot type with it. Um, mm-hmm. Sure, you can click around with it, but that's you know, sort of the extent of it. Um, and then you have your your left hand you're doing stuff with. And so, Which, important note about the hotkeys is that you need the hotkeys and you need to memorize them because of speed. Yes. Like you, you already know what you want to do. Yes. Uh, and so, so the, the cognitive load is memorizing the mechanism by which you can quickly do that thing, which is the hotkey. Yes. Well, then also right. to get to the hotkey, your hand's probably already on the keyboard trying to do other stuff, right? And so you have to now, you have to remember what, you have to know what you're trying to do, map that onto what the keys that are required, map that onto your fingers to make the process all the while you're switching away from the comfortable position you were in to be typing or doing whatever it was you're trying to do. On top of that, you have to be good at, frankly, designing an overall architectural pattern for your hotkeys once you have 120 of them. Uh, Yeah. And what I mean by that is like you can't overload any given hand, any given finger, any given combo of keys, whatever. And then there's just the uh, the defects problem, which is like, you know, if you have, for example, if you want to do a thing that is close to another thing in terms of hotkeys, it's very easy to sort of mash the wrong key or whatever else versus... Again, if you know what you're trying to do, the knowing has full clarity. You're not confused. There's not like a misknowing happening as far as yeah. what you're trying to do, but you could mangle it as you're trying to, you know, get it done. And so, you know, we had, she and I had talked about this and then I had her kind of onboard me into, into it. Um, and it is a, it's a pro, it's essentially built for, it's built by a programmer who needed the ability to use his hands after having some injuries. And um, has a really wonderful community around. It's open source software, but you can support on uh, Patreon, which we are uh, the studio actually now. And the like because it's built by a programmer for essentially programming or for, for programmers as a voice control device, then it is it has a bit of a certainly a bit of a hill to climb as far as getting into it. You gotta like you basically gotta clone a Git repo and do some other goofy stuff once you install. Well, I mean, actually, by default, it's basically just an engine. Like when you, it is an engine. Like you get you get Talon, like you install Talon as a piece of software, right? And then out of the gate, it basically doesn't do anything. It do just anything at all. Yeah, at all, <laughs> it, can, it can just be turned on, and then and then it starts listening to your voice, and then and then trying to you know map that against rules, but there aren't any, even any rules, yeah. right? And so you can use it. It's like the least opinionated way 
to go about this at all, but then they have a a common set of like really well-established collected functionality. It's kind of app specific. And and so you can basically, and that's just in somebody's Git repo as an open source project. So you can just like pull it down and start using all that stuff. Or you can just start adding, like you could, so if you wanted to, you could, you could just have anything cause anything to happen, right? Because there are, if you just, if you didn't even use that, it just went right to like making your own stuff. And so you can really incrementally adopt uh, like voice activated things over time if you wanted to. Yes. And so that's what I've been doing, starting with the idea of uh, one, can I make it less annoying to swap between windows, which is, you know, the simplest of things that is very annoying if you got a lot of stuff going on day to day. Uh, And then, and then once I got that kind of established and even like navigating on, on Chrome or discord, whatever else, just kind of popping around between windows or tabs, or sometimes you're just, you know, I don't want to, put my hand in my damn mouse and now I don't have to, you know? So every so often I just kind of lean back and then do some stuff, which is weird, but great. Uh, especially because for me, I've actually had, I have <laughs> been, I have developed some RSI in my, in my right hand that I had to do some uh, hand therapy for about uh, four months ago. So from there, then I breached into actually using it in art in Clip Studio. Um, and that's where it's, it's become sort of like a weird, very enjoyable thing. Cause it feels like you're working with like an imp on your shoulder who you're sort of whispering to. Um, and my wife was cracking <laughs> up because she walked by a few days ago. She heard me just going, rasterize, rasterize. <laughs> it's like you're <laughs> fucking casting spells or something. Um, <laughs> and and the, it knows what you're like. It's very good at picking up what you're saying. Um, and then what I've done then is essentially, this has allowed me to do a, to add a bunch of hotkeys for things. Basically what I have it doing is I add hotkeys for things in Clip Studio Paint that I otherwise haven't been able to load onto my hands because I don't use them frequently enough. So it's stuff like rasterize where normally it's like, okay, you just got to right click the layer. You go into a sub menu and then you hit this button to make this thing happen. Right. Even though you know exactly what you need to do and now you can get confused or misclick or whatever. So I'm able to load a bunch of these new functions on there. And then I just essentially uh, have Talon running a context specific, you know, uh, group of commands while I'm in Clip Studio Paint that then says, if I say these particular words like rasterize, then it executes that hotkey as a key press. So Mm -hmm. it's sort of this combination between all the things I've done before, but now with this voice layer attached to it. Um, And so So you have this memorization. I do have it in GitHub currently, yes. I was um, we could share also a link. Is it, oh, is it a public or private repo? It's public. Okay. Yeah, we should uh, we should have. Who, I, so Jen might be swapping with with Sampy for taking over the podcast uh, mm-hmm. for whatever stuff. So so ho- whoever's doing it, we'll, hopefully we'll find the link and get that popped in here so we can have links yeah. to all this stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, I would I would recommend if it's this, if one if you use if you're an artist doing stuff um, and you have you have just enough technical acumen if you if you've done. If you've got just enough uh, sort of programming know-how or know how to like use a Git client or something like that, uh, definitely give it a go. Or if you have a programmer friend, have them help you kind of get it up and running. Um, because it is I'm serious when I say it's very magical. And one of the things we've talked about in the podcast is when it comes to workflows, one of the best ways to go fast is actually to remove defects from the process. Yeah. Which is why we talk about how oftentimes going, it's a, you know, slow is smooth, smooth is fast, sort of the, the thing. Um yep. And so what I've noticed so far from this is actually just the, there's a certain clarity that comes from it where again, it's like, I say a thing that I want to do and it just happens. There's not like a mechanical intervention that has a defect chance in it. And this sounds like a very small thing, but in the scope of, you know, you're manipulating layers, you're making thousands of changes. It's even higher degrees of change than, uh, than like encoding, right? Where you're 
you're just slamming down a lot of stuff and there's just a lot of things happening in a wide variety of ways. It's not just text, right? And so having those things that can have uh, massive transformational effects that you have to kind of undo or, or deal with or just, uh, you know, whatever, um, having them just come out with clarity and then be done, be executed fully without the mechanical step is magical. It's just, it is magical. And I think it's- Yeah, that's what robots are supposed to be doing for you, right? Yeah, it's, it's made my work is just a little bit more enjoyable in a way that's like, it's just kind of nice. Uh, I'm yeah. pretty sure I'm getting some good productivity gains out of it too, but- Well, I also, yeah, I want to I double down on your point about, about avoiding errors, right? Yes. Because when we think about defects, it, we always, we're always thinking- big scale, like you send something to somebody that's broken, or like in the case of an art asset, you export the wrong size. Like we're thinking of pretty big defects, right? But in your moment to moment work, mm-hmm. a typo is a defect. Even if you like make a typo and delete it. It's yes. like if you mistype and fix it, that was you making a defect and, re- and instantly resolving it, right? If you're alt tabbing between windows and you cycle through and don't hit your window hit the first the time. You have to come back it. around, right? Yep. Uh, if you are on the wrong space and like you can't <laughs> figure out where, like that's also a defect. Like all of these are defects, right? And they're they're like they're micro defects that you're just mm-hmm. you're just swimming in in the moment to moment stuff because so much of how we interact with our tools is especially rapid tools like typing or interacting with the UI, right? Like mm-hmm. the, this is like like I think if you think about like swinging a hammer, right? Like think about your swings per minute, right? Versus like how frequently you're typing in terms of letters per minute, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just so fast and requires such dexterity. And the best typists out there still have what, like a you know, 95% success rate or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, so so that delete key is getting a, a workout. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, annoying. Yeah. And so you, you just remove all of that. Yeah. Right? You know yeah. how to spell the fucking word. And this is this was the thing yeah. that actually sort of like I was like, oh. Like this is this is a difference in approach that I haven't felt because the tooling is not allowed for it, which is that right. You get to stop it knowing what to do. Yes. I know yeah. what I'm trying to do. I don't have to try to then execute that. I just do it. So if you type in if you say the word the and you're using this, you know, I rename layers, for example, now using the software. And so I'll say I'll just say phrase and then call it a say uh, rename, phrase, shadow, enter, and then it just does the whole thing. And in the past yeah, there's about there's a chance that because I'm putting my hands back on the keyboard to type the word shadow, I'll just mistype it, have to delete whatever fucking uh, some annoying stuff. And it's like I know how to spell this word. I'm not trying like spelling is not the thing I'm trying to be good at right now. I just need mm-hmm. to put this in there and move on with my damn day. And now I just can. And like yeah, it's been weirdly nice. <laughs> I feel very buoyant yeah. <laughs> because of yeah, it. There, there's some really good uh, talks and blog posts and all kinds of stuff out there for talent voice. But in particular, there are some from people who, who only use it to work. And so that that's, yeah, this, this, that's, that's how talent came to my attention at some point quite a while ago is I just happened across some talk that somebody gave because it was a guy who had a really significant um, RSI on both arms to the extent where like he just literally wasn't supposed to be doing anything, right? Uh, like couldn't type, couldn't do anything. And it was going to be like a months long kind of a recovery process. And... So he ended up just training himself to use to use Talon, right? To do every, to do all of it, to do all of every interaction with the machine, and and there's there's a few other talks, you know, talking about similar kinds of things, and then you can hear them now, then giving you like kind of a demo of what it's like to like do the work there, and it's and it's wild because it's just like them saying seemingly random stuff because especially in the programming context, you're not saying words most of the time, you're yeah. asking for actions, but you also want to be able to make it fast, so it's all like single syllable kinds of things all strung together, you know? So it's really cryptic and fun. You know, it feels very sci-fi. Um, 
Yeah, if you want to feel like a wizard yeah. this week, just get just take a bit. Like I said, get a programmer friend or someone who knows something about GitHub or pop their their uh, Slack channel is really really wonderful. People are really nice, and there's a lot of tutorials online for getting it set up. Uh, it might take you like an hour or so to get kind of set up and get your first stuff going, but I'm telling you, it's uh it's got a magical quality. We might need to take a studio like Talon Day or something where we just I think onboard we everybody just and very just jam on it and do it's a jam. So yeah. yeah, we should probably do that. Actually. I got it already set up yeah. with Game Maker, so now I just say gameplay, and then it just boosts the game. I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, which is great. Yeah, you're not. Well, you're so- not Hunting for yeah. Let's think about it. in my own workflow for like for programming. The like one of the most common things that I'm always always doing is trying to figure out what some code is doing and like mm-hmm. navigating basically between parts of code that's distributed across files and whatever, right? So like in in VS Code, the editor I use, there's this uh, this hotkeyed action called go to definition, right? So if you see something somewhere like a variable name, and then you hit F12 on it or right click and hit go to definition mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Then it takes you to wherever that thing is defined, which could be a different file somewhere, it could be a different project right. even, right? It goes and it finds it and then opens that up for you. But that's over at F12, right? So it's like my hand has to fly across the keyboard to go hit it. And then the other one is is all left and right to basically move backwards and forwards to where your cursor has been. So like the workflow I have is like I'll hit F12 mm-hmm. to go figure out what the hell this thing is and then hit alt left, right, to get back. It's so now my right hand flies over to the F keys yeah, and flies down weird. to the arrow keys, right, before it can come back home. And if I could instead just be like, definition, back, right? Yeah. My hands don't even fucking move. And I'm I'll just tell you, there, it's so. good. It's good. It's real good. I, I got to bite the bullet and do it. I've been like, because it feels like one of those things I'm like, can I, should I do it on studio time, you know? But, yes. So then it's of course. like a hobby thing. Because like, I don't. It's not yeah, a hobby like, thing. It's an everything. No, I think, I think we need to do a, a studio jam on it, definitely. Yeah, and there's one other aspect of this that just kind of like it blew my mind with how obvious it is in retrospect, which is uh, Jen was talking about working on a talk. And I've I've done lots of talks, and there's this process for developing a talk where, you know, you've got to think about your subject material, and then you write it. You, you, write, out, you write out all the stuff that you want to talk about, and then you kind of refine that, and then you start kind of essentially rehearsing it. You know, you... Talk through it, see the talking how, part of it. Practice it, see how it sounds, time it out, and then add stuff, remove stuff, whatever, right? But the the kind of bizarre thing that happens every time is that speaking and writing are just different. You know, if you're if you're writing something to be read, then the cadence of that, the kinds of words that you're gonna use, how you structure things, it's just different. Mm-hmm. Right? Something that is read versus listened to, they're just different. And you can't really tell that the thing that you're writing is going to sound weird until you say it, yep. right? Um, so it actually merges these two parts of what is a, a talk production process yeah. into the which, first part, which is just writing. Yeah, which is don't don't write the talk. Just talk the talk. Just say the, just say the stuff that you want to say and Talon will, you know, dic- dictate it into a document for you. And you'll be able to hear immediately whether it sounds weird. It reminds me of, you know, we talk about test-driven development, right? Which is like, identify the problem immediately as it's created instead of two weeks downstream, Mm -hmm. right? Which is about how long it takes to write a talk and then go back and start refining (laughs) it, right? So, yeah. So, like, you know, I've I've been thinking about, about that extremely lengthy process of preparing a talk. And now with something like, with a tool like this, in our toolkit, it's like, you know, actually, I'm kind of interested in doing another talk. Curious you know, to see if, what it's like. If yeah. I can cut the prep time in like half or a third, right? So, uh, yeah, you know, it's all about your, like, this, this is something that can just, that can just dramatically 
speed up your workflows, I think, if you if you use really well. Uh, now, speaking of workflows. Oh, nice segue. We got to talk about uh, talk about uh, our first ever sponsor of, of Coffee with Butterscotch, which is Favro, or as we like to call it, Favro. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Favro is, is a, uh, man, what do you, what it's a, it's a, it's work a workflow management, management tool. tool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we, we bounced around from a bunch of different things. Lots of people use things like Jira or ClickUp or, you know, Monday, whatever. Um, and we, we found that because we do a lot of collaborations and we have a lot of sort of, um, I would call them like micro projects where maybe we have like an art asset that needs to be designed mechanically for a game, have sound effects brought into it, be programmed, you know, all these different things. Highly collaborative work basically at the end of the day. Yeah. Where we've kind of got like one thing, but it actually has lots of pieces that have to move through a bunch of different workflows. And managing that kind of highly collaborative work was really hard for us in lots of other different, uh, workflow management applications. Uh, and then we came across across Favro, which has this tremendous ability to have a thing be in multiple places at the same time. Yeah, that and is you can, the, their killer feature by yeah. miles that nobody else has. Yeah. yeah. That exactly. So we can have the same card in an audio pipeline when we're working with, you know, with Fat Bard to do audio stuff. That same card can be in my pipeline for programming. It can be in Sam's for art. And it's just the same card everywhere. And we can collaboratively take notes on it and, and document all the different pieces to to deliver that that new feature to the game. Yeah. So instead uh, of having so, basically a billion tasks explode out of one feature, because all those tasks have to be divvied up to everybody and split across all these workflows, you just have your feature. It's all in one place. It's just one feature card. That's it. Well, and it reduces the, the, the weight of overhead of designing a workflow, right? Because, yes. because in the, all the other systems that we've used, we had to have like, well, okay, we all need to be in the same place so we can look at the same place, like on, you know, in the boards, right? Because the cards can only be one place, right? So we would need to then develop. We had to like minimize the Common number of words we had, yeah. and then try to make them as generic as possible to support multiple kinds of work. Where we're now, if we if we're working on something like uh, last summer, we're doing a whole bunch of biz dev stuff, right? And and mm-hmm. normally I would be like, oh, okay, I guess a new biz dev board, or because like Sam and I needed to collaborate on some stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I'll just I'll just make a new. I'll just I'll just make a new card or a new uh, what do we call it? I guess a new workflow. It's called a new workflow. But a new workflow where the where the columns are exactly the things that make the most sense for doing this business, business stuff deals. work I'm doing, right? Yeah. And where I could like it's about the status of business deals, right? But now it's just nestled in right there next to my other boards doing other stuff that are my boards that I decide what the workflow looks like. And if I need Sam to do something, I just give him the card. I just drop it into his inbox, which is a different board. Yeah. And he can just make whatever workflows he needs. He can put it through whatever, whatever workflow he wants. Yeah, you stay out of my yeah. business. I work like a weirdo. Yeah. You know, I'm yelling yeah. at yeah. So, so it's, it's been kind of a game changer for us just because uh, every, every department, every piece of work, every kind of project, they have their own kinds of, you know, they have their own kinds of processes that you want to take them through. And Favreau allows you to create customizable uh, workflows and processes for different kinds of work, but also keeping them self-contained because it's the same card that can exist in yeah. multiple places. So. Well, I think, yeah, I think the thing that all other, all other workflows do, all other workflow tools do, is they make you bend your work to the workflow, right? Mm-hmm. So you change the way you do work so that the tool can support it. And then Favreau is the only one we've actually worked with 
that was so unopinionated and it gave us this, again, killer feature of having multiple boards and just moving cards across them, uh, that it meant that we got to suddenly design workflows that made sense for the work, not for the tool, right? Because the tool could support it. Yep. And that that is the thing. Although I will admit that gave us some initial uh, extra time required to figure out like, oh, we can do anything though. So how do we set this up? So it puts the problem so, where the problem should be. Exactly. You know? Which is how do I map the work that we're doing onto this tool uh, given that it can do it? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so big thanks to them for, for sponsoring the, uh, the podcast. And, you know, we, we are big believers in the idea that like, we wouldn't, we wouldn't take a sponsorship from something that we aren't using and that we don't believe in. Right. And we've been using the hell out of this thing <laughs> for quite a while. Mm-hmm. It's great. We love it. Uh, so definitely check it out. Uh, it, you can go to the link at uh, favro.com slash bscotch. That's F-A-V-R-O.com slash bscotch. Uh, go there. Check it out. You, you'll, you'll, you'll like it, I think. Yep. Uh, all right. So we got time for a, a little question. Let's Just go. a little one. Let's hit it. Okay. Uh, this question comes from uh, podcast.bscotch.net. If you want to get your question onto a future episode, just uh, go there and ask it. Highest upvoted question comes from Oopku Paduina, who says, <laughs> who says, hi, I'm a backend and web developer in the gaming sphere, and I would love to hear more about the architecture of the Game Changer. This could be too niche for the podcast, so would you consider doing a devlog on it? As a cheeky secondary question, what are your future plans for the Game Changer? Open sourcing it, standalone licensing, keeping it internal, etc.? I thought you said a little question. That was that's like a, that's a big fat. That one. was like three big questions. All yeah, I put little in quotes. Oh, okay, I didn't see. Uh, there were, it's, it's a yeah, podcast, so I didn't get the visual. There was yeah, a wink. Yeah, 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 there was a wink in there. I missed a little question. So let me let me think of how to how to answer this in a way that is good for radio and good for non programmers, mm-hmm. uh, but still kind of gets at the substance of, of the question, which is kind of a. Uh, like what's what is like? How does the game changer like? What is the game changer really doing? Kind of behind the scenes, right? Yeah, the ga- so I, I would describe it as the game changer is a structured data editor. Structured data meaning data that looks a certain way and has rules, right? About like there's this field can have this kind of value and that field can have that kind of value, and you can only have ten of these here, or you know. But basically, really strict, clear rules that are applied to these things, so that. The, so that the editor then can see those rules and use them to create an editor, right? Yep. So it's using the rules to make the editor. The rules are also being used by the program to validate the input that comes in, right? And so the no rules defects. are also being shared to the user to some extent because we can add, you know, you can add, you can add comments in there and all kinds of stuff, right? In the in the thing describing the data in the first place, and then that's also shown to the user of the tool. So so that the end result is that basically we have this kind of generic, the end result is sort of like a generic data. So for web developers, you'll be very familiar with JSON and that's what it is. But for people who aren't, it doesn't really matter. It's just like a human readable kind of data format. Um, But everything in the end is that. Um, But it's all of these rules that sit on top of it that allow us to automatically generate editors, automatically validate the data. And then also Seth has built like merging tools and stuff so that, that if... Seth and Sam both upload changes at the same time. Um, then they have tools in place to identify that there's been a conflict because they tried to edit the same thing or something. And yep. because the rules are there, then again, the editor can use those rules to help you either automatically or just give you some extra information to help you fix those issues as you go. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, a simple 
example. Let's say you got a game that has weapons, okay, like mm-hmm. swords or something, right? Um, and all they have is like a, a, a name and damage. And like those are the two things that can be on a weapon. We'll call those, those are the fields that can be on a weapon. So you're going to, you were going to have some rules, right? Like the name of the weapon, it's, it's going to be a string, which is like it's words, it's characters, right? And it can't be too long. You don't want a name of a weapon that's like 16 paragraphs, right? It should be, you know, maybe like a 30 characters at most, right? So you're going to, you're going to describe this and you're going to say, okay, I have a thing called a weapon. It has a thing that has a field called name. It's a string. And it's maximum of 30 characters. Those are the rules, okay? And then the weapon has a damage. Well, damage is a different thing, mm-hmm. right? That's a number. Well, it, what's what's what are the rules for the number? Well, you know, maybe it probably can't go below zero. Mm-hmm. And even zero is probably a useless number. So maybe, you know, maybe there's a minimum of like 10 damage and it can do up to 100 damage, right? So, so those are those are the rules. And we've kind of described this little this little blueprint for what a weapon is. Uh, so that doesn't, so all that does is it just describes all of the possibilities for all of the weapons in the game, right? It's a little, it's a little guidebook for how weapons get made. Okay. So what the game changer does is it will, it will read that guidebook and be like, oh, we've got this little, this little blueprint for what a weapon is. Uh, so now I'm going to show that in my editor. And if anybody wants to make a weapon, then this is the rule set that I'm going to use to allow them to create a weapon. So it reads through all the rules and it'll say like, okay, we've got a thing called name. That's a text box. And they can type the name in there. Oh, they got a number. We're going to do a slider for that one. So they can like do a slider to set the, the, uh, the damage. And then they, so they can make that weapon and like hit create another weapon. Same rules apply, but it's a new weapon now. And you can make as many of those as you like. And uh, then they get sucked into the game and then the game can read all those weapons that you created and you're good to go right yeah i think one of the important notes here is that there's there's tooling in other in other game engines that is uh is similar to this out of the box and stuff like unity has these 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 at a or they're exactly they're called, but basically it's a little pop out for a particular kind of object that you've made that has dials and stuff on it that you can set. So basically, yeah, the program they're, team, their inspector, inspector, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the program team can essentially set up the same kind of rules. The difference here is that because we've split the data out into its own thing entirely, is that uh, if you on the design side go and make new things or edit new things, you're not actually making direct changes to the project, which is sort you're of like, changing the code of the game. Correct. And it's sort of like yeah. in the case of, you know, if you're building a house or something like that and you're like, oh, you know, the painter wants to come in and paint these walls, for example, uh, it'd be the sort of, a, like, I guess, roughest metaphorical equivalent I can give you is that uh, in our case, the painter can just come in and paint the wall and it's fine, doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't affect anything else. In the case of uh, using one of those built in things like the Unity Inspector, if the painter comes in and paints the walls, they have to like sort of, you know, let everybody know, shut down everything sort of around the situation uh, and kind of get that like through, make sure everyone's fully aware that this painting is going to happen because it could interfere with like other stuff. And it's sort of like involves the whole project as opposed to just being a painter coming in and painting a fucking wall. Yeah. And probably, probably a good example would be like, um, if you think about like, okay, think about Twitter, right? Which is a simple online platform where you can post stuff, right? So a tweet is a thing that, that anybody can make, Mm -hmm. right? They got a little text box. They can type stuff in the tweet. And when they post that tweet, they're just uploading that to a server. If you want to tweet, you're just adding data to a big pile of data, 
right? Mm-hmm. You don't need to be able to download the repository for Twitter mm-hmm. and understand the code base of Twitter to add a tweet to Twitter, right? So a good way to think about it then is like in typical game development, even, even in the good engines, um, if you want to make a tweet, you've got to add to the code base of Twitter, right? (laughs) Metaphorically. So what we're doing is we're saying like, okay, what if we treat a weapon like a tweet and a creature like a tweet, right? Where it's like, there's a thing called Twitter, which is the engine that actually handles the data, right? And then there's the tweets, which is the data itself that any, that, that like, there's a bunch of rules for how those work and anybody can do them because it's very easy to just open up Twitter and type your tweet and just, you know, scream into the void. Right. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So that's kind of the philosophy is like separate the data out from the code and then give people a really nice, easy to use tool that allows them to edit the data in a, in a super easy way. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's kind of the philosophy behind it. Um, as far as like open sourcing it or, or busting it out, um, no, in its current form, it is something that we would like to explore later on because it's been so incredibly useful for us. Um, but it is built tightly in our tech stack. So mm-hmm. like it's made out of cake frames, which is our own, interface management system. Like that's how we built the editor. And it's also built on top of, it's built in game maker language. So you wouldn't be able to use it in unity or whatever. Um, so yeah, the way, the way forward for us to kind of like make a tool like this more available to people would be to find a way to make it more agnostic, you know, convert it to a web app, something like that. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some kind of a web app where it's like, you can still do all that stuff and then you can, you know, pull the data into your game and then your game can, can digest it that way. Um, yeah, so it's, that, that's sort of like, that is something that we are really interested in doing, but mm-hmm. that's a, that's a long-term plan. Cause this thing is like, it's a, there's a lot of tech in this yeah, thing. Well, and, and the problem is once you move on to the web, especially if the idea is to, you know, have it as a service or something, um, is that the, the number of, it's kind of like going from 2d to 3d, you know, like yeah, so, yeah. where, where it's not, where there's, there's a lot more going on there than just the extra, the plus one, you know, would, would imply. Um, where we, we get to do a lot of things that we're doing because we get to make tons of assumptions, um, including like all of the data is local. It's for a game. It's for a game maker game, right? Um, and that we not only can, but need to have all of the d- data available all the time at once, right? On Like on your own machine. Uh, as you move into like scale so that if somebody wants to start doing, using this for things that aren't a game or for enormous games, right? Where any one user actually shouldn't have everything because there's actually too much and I need to find ways to see subsets, right? Then it goes from, it changes, it changes its shape to something where there's like, there's like the data, which is like a snapshot in a moment of time. And like, that's the whole data as one big package, right? Versus so much stuff is changing so frequently that there isn't actually like a moment in time where you can say like, this is a frozen, like well-defined state. Just everything is constantly in motion. And in some ways it's already kind of like that with the game changer because stuff can change so fast, but with a small team and like things scoped to the scale of a game, you know, versus like thousands of users doing stuff. Right. Uh, but that, that still probably is going to be fine. Like it's probably going to scale just fine. Um, but once we go into other territory, that isn't true. And so, so we do, so the, the whole like model has to shift to get us over there. 
And that's a lot of the reason we haven't even started to play that game. Yeah. yeah and and we're like post Crash Lens 2 project, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It reminds me of the, the transition of like making a game jam game versus making a commercial game. When you're making a jam, yeah. When you're making a jam game, you can just ignore just a million things because who gives yep. a shit, right? Yep. It's your, it's only your problem and you can put up with it. But as soon as you start exchanging that game for money, oh boy. Oh boy, yep. you better be ready to make sure you can alleviate everybody's problems because Everything you're about to create changes. a lot of them. So, well, yeah, that's actually, that's, uh, there's a, I think there's an interesting sort of thing here too about, so, so with games, like your biggest worry is always player data loss, right? Cause that's yeah, like, the worst. there's the worst, the worst thing you could do to a player is, is accidentally nuke their data, um, either with a game update or just the game misbehaving. Because data is time and effort. Yeah, because so data is the time and effort, exactly. And it's and also where you can recover from. So if the game stops working properly, but then you get that working again, oh, your data is still there. You can pick up, right? The same thing is true for stuff that isn't games, right? So so we have a we have a, a tool called Stitch that we used to automate all of our stuff with um, Game Maker, right? It's like our, our pipeline and all that kind of stuff. And it is open source, or at least it's openly available. Um, but I was hesitant to make it available originally. And still, I'm always a little worried about it. Right, because it manipulates your project directly. Right, so if I fuck something up, or even if I didn't, but you just like don't know how to use how to it use properly, it. yep, and then it manipulates your things. There's right? a game maker update, and the project structure changes, and yeah, you know, and so just now we're blows up your shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's all these ways that basically this tool, because it operates directly on your files and stuff, right, could basically permanently destroy and corrupt your your. To your data, and if that's a game that you've been working on for months or years or whatever, right? Then when we could just nuke that, you know? Yeah, but um, you know that's what Git. That's what Git is for. That's what, exactly. and, that's, yeah. and that's actually why the thing, like, it checks to see if you're in a Git repository, and then checks to see that you're up to date. So that's built, and you have to. You can tell it to to not, but you have to. You have to literally type in dangerously allow like blah 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 right like like as a nice as the, the, the name you gotta really the, you gotta really sign on for the yeah, really sign on about to because <laughs> yeah. we because we also need to bypass that you know on occasion but Every the small. idea is that you have to do it intentionally um yeah but uh, but the point being that as we move this into you know new territory where we start to take on other people's stuff because like within our own studio we can we can do training we can make sure everybody knows exactly what's going on and the tool itself doesn't have to necessarily protect against all bad outcomes Right. Mm -hmm. Because as a team, we can do that through training and best practices and all of that. Right. So that's something that we wouldn't, there could be something that would break in a horrible way, but nobody on our team would even imagine doing it. And so it's fine that that's a, that's a potential problem. Right. But the moment a thing hits users out in user space, also known mm -hmm. as chaos monkeys, yep. <laughs> well, the moment yes. it's the chaos monkeys, <laughs> everything that could possibly happen is going to happen now. And if the outcomes of some of those things is just permanent data loss and that data is something that somebody's business depends on, right? Yeah, it's all uh, or like yeah. So so this is why like moving from that tier of like making doing something that's useful internally, and then selling it as a service. Like the leap there that's actually so there's a technical leap that's always hard, but you can you can half-ass that and still and still make it work. Yeah, right? the technical design stuff I'm not worried about. It's the, that's like, not the problem. It's yeah, the it's legal the, the yeah. implications and the. And the Honestly, liability. It's, it's, not, and like it's like not even stuff. the legal stuff. It's just the it's just the fact. It's just, it's just the, the danger. It's oh, just yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's the, the ethical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's, there's the ethical part, but then it's it's wrapped up in all the other parts too. Because right, because it's not only because it wants its business to business. That not only like do we absolutely not want that outcome to happen? It would feel terrible if it did, right? But also, if we just like if somebody used a tool that we provided and then it just like nukes 
a, a year of their business's operations or something, right? Because like something went wrong. Uh, oh boy. That's or probably- if we've got, if we've got like a thousand companies, some of which are game studios or some of which are whatever, right? Like mm-hmm. using this to build their business. And then we have a security vulnerability that we didn't know about. We get hacked and all of our shit goes away. And somehow like, <laughs> so, like we, something happened to our redundancies, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Right. I was like, okay, are we now on the hook for basically destroying a thousand businesses? Because probably, mm-hmm. you know, here's the, here's the deal. I uh, think that's the scary our, part. Our oh, yeah. time in video games has been largely a training exercise in the design, the technical, and kind of the aesthetic development of stuff without having, with, with of course, people who give you death threats, but over what are really silly things that you don't have to worry too much about. You're not like, someone's yeah, not like, you can feel really I don't have a house anymore. Somebody- yeah, because like if somebody put twenty hours into your game and then they lost all that progress, like that's that's gut wrenching. That feels horrible. Oh, it hurts. Right? It hurts. But yeah. nobody lost income. You know, nobody died. Like yeah. It's, yeah. if somebody can send you an understandable death threat, where you're like different category, under, where, where you're like, right. I actually understand why you would kind of want me to be dead because <laughs> it won't happen yeah. to you. At that point, you're like, all right, that's that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, I think it's like yeah. I, all, this, all the game stuff has given us the space to develop all the other skills, such that I think if we ever decide to actually enter into that SaaS domain, then uh, oh. we could focus on that other part as opposed to just the design tech part. Yeah, which yeah, because yeah, having to do that all at once is, a thing. And, 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 and I see a lot of these you know companies who are like, there's like this whole like building in public movement where people try to like build tech in their spare time and sell some like little one-off service, you know. It's very cool, and there's lots of neat little services coming out of this. Um, but something that I don't see anybody talking about in all of this at all is like, how does a how does your legal agreement work? How do you guarantee you know that nothing bad will happen to your users or? To well, I think you, you don't. I think but, that's what the huge term of service is. Well, yeah, yeah, you don't. But the thing is, like, they're not even doing. They're not even like thinking about that. They're just they're focused solely on like nobody talks about that. They don't talk about. It. They're focused solely on making the service, making the product, and the assumption is basically just that. Well, everything's going to be fine, right? And that doesn't even mean they're not like actively doing things to to do a good job, so that those things are not terribly likely, right? But they're not even points of discussion, and those are the hard parts. We always talk about how like making a game is hard, but it's not the hard part. Successfully selling a game is the hard part. Mm-hmm. And I think launching a service is the same deal. Like, yeah, it's already hard to make and design it. But the hard part is actually selling it successfully in a way that you are not in a safe way. Yeah, it's, downstream beca- yeah. becomes a big problem. Which is safe for you and everybody else, right? Uh, yeah, it's so there's a lot of considerations there. We would love to explore that when the time is right because it's been a really fun tool to work on. But yeah, yep. there's a lot. Uh, all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. I would like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. And of course, thank you for t- to today's sponsor, Favro, uh, our first ever sponsor. Big deal. We're very pumped mm-hmm. about it. And, Visit uh, it. Go, yeah, go there. Yeah. Go to favro.com slash bscotch. As again, it's F A V, as in va- van, van. Very, very, very. R-O. Yep. Favro, favro.com <laughs> slash bscotch. There's a two week trial. You'll land on a page that tells you about, ooh, using this in the video games industry. Um, and so you can kind of you can find videos, you can find all kinds of, of good stuff there. Um, yeah. So definitely go there. Go there, check it out. It's great. 
Uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.